Well, hello. Welcome back. It's Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast about deep cuts and hot cookies. I'm Tim Lindsay. And I'm Christian Bonner. First of all, thanks everybody who's been commenting and liking us on the social media. The Facebook page is doing great. We've been reaching a lot of new people, so welcome. We, uh, so far this year, have covered quite a lot of new reissues of the Stones back catalog and uh, concerts that haven't seen the light of day on official releases, but... Um, today we're going to talk a little bit more broadly because, uh, you know, everybody is reissuing vinyl now and the Rolling Stones are no exception to this. Uh, every one of the, from the vault releases in some form has seen a vinyl release. Um, now with this new studio collection, 1971 to 2016 box set, um, which we've had a chance to listen to and, and compare with some other editions, um, Plus, of course, Abco, the Stones' former record company, have reissued a bunch of the uh, DSD remasters. And we just found out that today, uh, we had suspected this, but we just found out that today they are doing a 50th anniversary of Beggar's Banquet. Right, on vinyl. Three discs. We don't know what's going to be on them yet, but that's the listing on Amazon is for a three-disc vinyl 50th anniversary deluxe yeah, package. More on that as it comes. I don't think you can get better than the DSD. Uh, which I've been listening to pretty much on nonstop. So it'll be nice to have another copy for mm-hmm. when I wear out yes. this one. Uh, but I don't think there's any reason to uh, to change it in, as far as the mastering. Goes. Yeah, there's a little bit of an argument to be made for last year's 50th anniversary reissue of their Stanic Majesty's Request, which had a fresh stereo remaster. Um, I think it sounded good, but not a huge improvement over the 2002 remaster. And then also they packaged it with the mono remaster from the mono box set Apco put out. So who knows? Maybe that's what Apco will do with Beggar's Banquet. We don't know yet if they're going to package any unreleased material with that. Yeah, we, I would I would really like to hear Blood Red Wine or that jam that's in uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Mm. Um, right, obviously the Godard I'm, film, yeah. Which they're also remastering and putting out on Blu-ray this yeah, year. Yeah, I really hope that... I would love it if they would do an edition that was just the Stones. Uh, we so, never, so well, I never could know. watch I mean, it. I think what, what they've done on this edition, or at least what I've heard anyway, is that they've restored Godard's original cut, the 1 plus 1 film, which doesn't end with the studio version of Sympathy for the Devil. And using seamless branching on the blu-ray you can opt to watch either version that's that's ideal because it is it is quite uh tiring to try to watch that film yeah. as it is it's just inconsistent there are versions up on youtube where you can just see the stones jamming but i think yeah you're right if there was an option for the seamless branching to just watch the chapters of the stones panda has strong opinions about this Got beef. <laughs> uh, no that would be great if they could incorporate that feature on the on the blu-ray uh so we might as well talk about the box set because that's a sensible topic for today. Yeah, so but, this came out uh, earlier this year. The Stones did a quick little like promo video for it while they were still on the No Filter tour. And we commented, I commented on it immediately, uh, you know, something to the effect that it was uh, overrated and not worth it. Mm-hmm. And Tim said, uh, oh, you're ready to buy all the studio albums again. Well, and turns out <laughs> we turned around on this very, very quickly. Yeah. And so, so context for this before uh, is that I uh, used to be into vinyl. Uh, you know, when I when I was younger, mm-hmm. I got into vinyl in the '90s because it was very cheap. Yeah, uh, you could buy you could buy when physical media was your only option. Uh, you know, I would get like five bucks to get lunch. Uh, and I would I would uh, try to save as much as possible, and because you could get tattoo you or something for like three three dollars yeah. or sometimes less, 
And the used bins were a much greater treasure trove than the garbage dumps they've now become. Yeah, and re- vinyl revival. It's funny that you can't. You used to be able to get vinyl for much cheaper. Nowadays, I don't think you're going to go into a store and find anything priced worth listening to for less than ten bucks. Yeah, the whole like when I I have a lot of reissues from um, early two thousands when when they really got into the hundred eighty gram mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. And I find it hilarious to see that I, I bought a, a JB's record for 20 bucks when that currently now is 30 or sometimes 40, depending on the pressing. Yeah. Now, I've also gone down this, the, the vinyl revival I, rabbit I hole. I sucked him in. Yeah. So that's, you know, I, I used to, again, I also had vinyl in the 90s just because that was the format that was around in people's houses until it gradually all kind of phased out and I went to CDs and now I've gone back. Yeah. Cause like as a kid, if I wanted to hear the Ghostbusters song, you know, I had to make that work. And you, you taught you about signal routing and, sure. and how to do all that. I, I left it because I was like, oh, well, it was post-2003. It was like, well, I have everything on uh, MP3 now. Mm-hmm. So what do I need all this physical media for? And I was, at, at that point, I was unaware of lossy compression. Right. I did not hear a difference. And, and the thing is that also was happening around that time, at least for me, was I, we were just sort of on the cusp of like adulthood and getting our own places and having to figure out how much you need to bring around with you. That's that's also true. Yeah. So now that we're approaching or encroaching on middle age, <laughs> yeah. spreading our, our wealth physically around us in stuff and another thing that happened around <laughs> that time in terms of the formats was um sacds the hybrid right. sacds came out yeah. and dvd audio and i did get into that a little bit i didn't quite understand again the difference but i really this is where this becomes relevant mm. and i start talking about things that matter <laughs> uh is that i got out of it because of the 2010 xl on main street which i got about 10 seconds into dropping the needle i remember i I had the 94, I've had the 94 XL on Main Street for a really long time. It's not in as good shape as it should be because mm-hmm. I listen to it a lot, but I have a lot of strong connections with that particular pressing. And when I fired up to 2010, I just thought like, what happened here? Yeah, this is and wrong. An unfortunate consequence of the transition to streaming and digital formats is that before we'd really worked out the ins and outs of the technology, the thing that made stuff sound better was just cranking up the limiting. And this is like what people talk about is the loudness wars. And we've touched on this before. The thing about vinyl is that it, it just sounds bad when you do that. It's indefensible. I was reading about this. There's a certain level of volume that you need in order to get further away from surface noise, Mm -hmm. but there are diminishing returns past a certain point. Yes. And the thing about, when people say, oh, well, is the vinyl really all analog? Aren't you just pressing the CD to vinyl these days? It's actually more complicated than that because the master file has to be within that threshold. So you do have to apply slightly different mastering to be able to make a vinyl record sound good. So so that brings us to the current box set. Yeah, I would just want to say I almost got, I got back into vinyl a little bit uh, in between now and then when I got a bunch of Robert Palmer records because there was simply no other way before they were remastered. It was very, you very... simply couldn't resist. I could not. It was I could simply not. irresistible. On that note, 
I will say that no digital edition of Koyu's sounds as good as the vinyl. When they figured that out, great. Yeah. But closest thing I've ever heard is Barry Diamond's original CD, and everything else since then has just not sounded anywhere near as good. And that's relevant, not to divert too much into Robert Palmer, but that's relevant because I originally listened to the Stones off vinyl transfers onto cassette that my guitar teacher made for right. me. And when they did the DSD CD remasters of things like Beggar's Banquet in particular, mm-hmm. which I had already listened to a million times, I could tell that it was objectively higher fidelity, more frequency range. Mm-hmm. But there was something, I stopped listening to that one because I, it, I know now it's too bright. Like that guitar solo in Sympathy for the Devil is way too bright. Mm. When, you, when, I, when I got back to the DSD vinyl one, I was like, oh, crap, this is the way it's supposed to sound. Yeah, because you can't physically have that without sibilance on the vinyl, which I think might have been part of the reason why the 2010 Exile sounded so bad is the levels were jacked up to the point where it was distorted and sibilant. There's that. I also found that there was it, it didn't have any of that low-mid mm. schmear that yeah. vinyl is famous for, and especially Exile on Main Street. Like that's, I did not know enough at the time to recognize what was wrong with it, but that turned me off for a really long time. And I thought, well, it's expensive and it's time consuming. And at this point, I'm more inclined to recommend that people invest in a vinyl system because the same good work that's going into keeping those digital signal chains clean is is translating into good results on record pressings. Yeah, and it's it's actually not that hard to find a good used table and amp and stereo. Mm-hmm. My Facebook feed is filled with them. If you want to go get an old Dual or something, sure. they work really well. But you have to know what you're getting into. Yeah. And you have to commit. you got to get your anti-static brush. You've got to figure out some kind of wet cleaning system. Yeah, because if you're going to pick up used records, God knows where they've been and what they've seen. So I think when you're talking about music of a certain era, there is just no better way to hear it. And we're not trying to say it's wrong for you to not enjoy vinyl. We're not trying to convert anybody. We're just outlining our reasons for why we had our road to Damascus here. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I was a guy who, you know, on internet forums would defend CDs all day long because I had invested so much in them at that point. And that's fine. I have a first edition Bridges to Babylon on Mm. CD that I listened to. The first edition Voodoo Lounge you have... And, you know, it's worth it. Like, there, f- when when you go back, just don't listen to the Universal 2009 yeah. digital remasters on any format ever, yeah. because they're terrible. And and that that's the point we were talking about, where the loudness war sort of reached the kind of threshold where it was almost painful to sit through the whole thing. Even if you turn it down, it still sounds too loud. Um, and what's markedly different, we've found in this box set, is that they have preserved the master tape into the computer. Miles Showell was talking about, well, we had flat transfers of everything, but I also took a little bit of time before I went to the pressing lathe to like notch out stuff that would cause sibilance and DS problem vocals that were going to distort when the needle moves that fast. So we're now at the point where the technology of digital has improved in service of analog reproduction. Yeah, and I'm going to say something that's going to be very controversial for uh, a lot of the older people here we are better at making vinyl now than we were uh, at any point uh, with the exception of the 90s. Mm-hmm. We are doing heavier pressings of virgin vinyl. There's no Jimmy Carter energy crisis yeah. vinyl happening here. 
we are we have the the digital masters. I've heard from people that I respect. If you're listening to digitally mastered vinyl, you might as well be listening to the CD. I I I understand that some people feel that way. I do not believe that that is true. No, and and the thing that I can't emphasize enough is that when the music leaves the analog realm and goes into bits and bytes, it's got to come back out into the analog realm with at least as much fidelity and reproduction. So the vinyl process takes care of that for you. As long as you get an all analog signal chain on the other side, that's reasonably clean. You're going to get all the benefits of the highest resolution possible. Yeah. And so I want to stress another thing that I say quite a lot. And that is that uh, none of these are, none of what I'm saying, I can't speak for Tim. None of what I'm saying is intended as an objective statement. Mm. Uh, There are people, uh, there's a guy at a store that I know and he says, well, there's, there's six times more information on vinyl than there is on CDs, and that's not true. There no. is less information on vinyl. Yeah, and that if you want to get a, technical, yeah. That can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Rolling off excessive high-end. Like I have this James Brown record from the 80s, and what you think of as 80s production values, overly bright uh, harshness there, that is an artifact of the digital age. Mm-hmm. On vinyl, all of that is gone, and they knew exactly what they were doing, yeah. sending it a little bit too bright, knowing that it would be rolled off. It's like if you want to pack for a picnic, right? You want to give the eggs a little bit of extra salt so that by the time you get out there, it's rolled off them. <laughs> yeah, roll the high gone. end off your salt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so we're mixing too many metaphors here. We should yeah. get into the content of the box set. Yeah, just okay. For so people who don't I know. Haven't, I just want to stress that I have not heard everything in right. the box set. So what, what we'll do is we'll just sort of go album by album and talk about things that we like about uh, you know, deep cuts, as it were, like things of note about this record, even if you've heard it a hundred times, that if you're thinking about getting this box set, it might be worth your while just for these notable And things. I would say that this whole era is really the deep cuts era, because yeah. beyond Sticky Fingers and Exile on Main Street, that's where a lot of people kind of check out. Yeah. And I say that that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't blame anybody, because I do not care about the blues covers mm-hmm. era of uh the band it doesn't mean anything to me and to me it's really much more about when they emancipate themselves from deca and Mm -hmm. from uh alan klein that they become the entity that i know and understand and like and ground zero for that of course is the the sort of post psychedelia darkness on sticky fingers and what i like about this pressing is it has all the clarity of the digital remasters but clear yet very distant feeling uh on 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 especially the side two stuff like sister morphine and you know you're gonna feel that kind of sluggishness in a way that you don't feel in the uh the digital stuff i've always liked the depth of this record uh there's a lot of uh, hype uh in the in the world of uh pro sumer mix people Mm -hmm. about width about making mixes as wide as possible what i've always enjoyed about uh, the analog process, especially around this time, is that you really get a sense of how deep the room is. Yeah. Um, you know, and I remember thinking about that listening to Sway. Sure. And it just hit Something me. about the drum tone and the guitar reverb off of the walls of the room is, it's, yeah, you can picture exactly the room that they're in. Yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily, I think that it's important to think about separation and clarity, which digital is really good at, but to another degree it's important to have a certain amount of harmonic distortion that Mm -hmm. kind of blends everything together yeah and everything that you like about brown sugar the fact that the guitar is a little bit overloaded and it it does break up a bit that's that's all here but what is 
great about the vinyl format and about this pressing in particular is that it's forgiving of those things. It's much more forgiving. I noticed that listening to, I have a U.S. Hot Rocks that's not in great shape, but I noticed that on the first two notes of Brown Sugar that uh, that famous distortion mm-hmm. uh, on there from the clipping is is much more mitigated. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know, like you said about the solo on Sympathy, right? It doesn't tear your ear off to listen to it just because naturally the vinyl is more forgiving of that treble range. Because it's almost like the engineers knew what they were doing yeah. and were mixing and mastering for the format here. And yeah. when and they, you know, Jimmy Miller's famous instruction on this record to just, if you don't like the way it sounds, just turn it up louder <laughs> until you do. I think that that's completely borne out by this rendering of this album. Okay, so uh, I heard a little bit of this edition of Exile on Main Street, mm-hmm. and I I did like it. I mean, I, I love the the 94 edition. Uh, mostly I listened to a, a first edition uh, tape transfer, as I was saying, mm-hmm. which, you know, is all smeared and covered in harmonic Yeah, dripping juices. with honey. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it's great. Um, but the 94, the Bob Ludwig 20-bit master, even when I do pick up this box set, I am probably going to replace my 94 because it's just like a vintage thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, uh, That particular vintage um, is, is very much how I expect it to sound. However, I would say that this new one um, offers um, a bit more clarity yeah, without definitely. losing the the X factor, the uni- yeah. je ne sais quoi of I, the record. And Miles Scholl now has had two different kicks at the can to get this right. Um, the the previous half speed mastering, like we discussed before, was uh, based still, on the 2010. It was still the 2010. So yeah. if you give him crap, that's what it's going to yeah. be. But this is, I think, based on the the high-res transfer that's on the Blu-ray. This is a new, these are new masters. Yeah, these were done specifically for the Japanese market, um, these DSD flat transfers, and now we have vinyl based on that. Yeah, so. and there, there was a little bit... He said there was a tiny bit of processing in, as far as yeah. uh, uh, EQ and compression, and I would just like to say, apropos of nothing, I would like these masters to be on title in MQA yeah. because they only have the, the uh, 2009... And that's unforgivable. They, they're awful. I, I imagine they'll go to high res at some point. I think it's a question of you know. Speaking of which, they do include high res. No. So the, here's the thing about this box set. We originally thought that the the download card uh, was going to be included in all editions, and it was going to have the same mastering, but it it wasn't, and it doesn't. So that's um, definitely one negative thing. Yeah. About uh, this, I, I would check carefully if you do invest in this box set that none of your records have uh, non-fill, which is a technical term for a, like a scratching noise on the record. I thought that that was happening with my copy of Goat's Head Soup here um, and also with uh, Bridges to Babylon, but it varies from table to table, so I'm thinking it might just be like a, something that has to be cleaned off. It, yes, it's probably the mold release agent, right. and um, you should clean your records, wet clean your records yes. right after you buy them, and... Uh, in front of everyone, I will offer that you can come <laughs> and use my uh, cleaning machine Great. on the whole box. Set. I will take you up on that. Uh, and then we can listen to it all over again. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so Goat's Head Soup, like I said, if you don't get a copy that has the non-fill problem of it, which I have seen many people report, especially on side two, there's like a consistent scratching noise. Um, I don't think mine has it, and I do think it sounds really good. I'm not yeah. a, a, as big of a fan of this record as Christian I would, is, but... I do like this record. Um... I would definitely trade Winter for Through the Lonely Nights. Mm. Um, 
but I have always enjoyed. I would say that um, this is when we're in this era um, past into into the 70s. I would say it's about 50-50 whether I would rather listen to it on vinyl or the SACDs. Mm-hmm. The Goatshead Soup SACD is like you lose a bit of that piercing realism in this edition, which is it's fine by me. I mean, I I happen to think that the album's vibe it has a dank murky quality about <laughs> Indeed, it that yeah. is served by the vinyl yeah. format and you know it was funny because i first noticed that when we were listening to side one and i was like eh. but as the record went on mm-hmm. i really came to enjoy it a lot more and again the louder it goes the better it sounds i think that in this case particularly you know by the time you get to star star you know if you haven't cranked it all the way up you're missing out and i'd also like to say that this does not have the stupid back masking yeah the censoring that, that, that the 2009 had mm-hmm. And what's great about it also is that uh, the gatefold reproduction of the photos, the David Bailey photos, is amazing. And the like, horrifying yeah. uh, insert of <laughs> the, goat's the literal goat's head, head suit. Yeah, it's it's all there, and it looks stunning. Um, you know, a lot of vinyl reproductions these days, it's obvious that they scanned it from whatever transparency they had in the archives, and the record company just went to print with that. This looks like they found all the original artwork elements for not only all the covers, but all the inside, the posters the were applicable. Yeah, Sticky Fingers has got a working zipper. And it has a special extra piece of plastic over the zipper so it doesn't damage <laughs> That's right. any more of your records. Um, and you know what? Like, if, if for nothing else, if you're a fan of the artwork on these albums, I think this box set is definitely worth the investment because it looks great. So now I have to tap out for the next two records because I haven't heard them. Yeah, so I'll briefly run down what's good and what's bad about each one. Um, So it's only rock and roll. Uh, In the four column, I would say that this does sound better than my original Canadian pressing. I still haven't heard an original U.S. pressing, but I think they're from the same plates, so it shouldn't be that big of a difference. Um, Now, what's bad about it, unfortunately, is that the DSD transfers went back to the original speed of fingerprint, fingerprint file. file. Now, we love the way that the, it sounds at the original it, speed. It, the slower fingerprint file is the correct uh, presentation of yeah. that song. My theory is the only reason they sped it up in the first place was to physically fit to all the music the side. Yeah, into the side. Because you can only get about 23 minutes of audio as far as rock and roll is concerned. Depending on, on your vo- yeah, your volume, if it's a piano thing you can, and you master really quietly, yeah. you can get more length out of it. But unfortunately, vinyl still has that limitation to this day. So... Uh, you know, right or wrong, I'm going to say, throw my hat in the ring and said he made the wrong call here, but Miles matched the original pressing and he sped up the, the DSD transfer. Yeah, and so this, this raises another question about artistic integrity and purity of archivalness. Hmm. Uh, but I think that you've got to look at what the original intention was. This will come up when we talk about Steel Wheels because there's some changes to Steel Wheels. Yeah. So it's only rock and roll is true to the original presentation. Um, I just don't for better like or it. worse. Yeah, as much. Yeah, for better or for worse. I just don't happen to like it as much as it could have been improved. It has some yeah. great stuff, but uh, if you really want to be my friend uh, about yeah. the, when Keith comes in with that horrible backing vocal, uh, yeah. I gotta gotta and tune out. God, short and curlies. I mean, the less said, the better. Um, <laughs> but black and blue, on the other hand, sounds great. And I do have the Japanese SACD of this and. Because it is a wonderful sounding record. Like, this is superbly well recorded. Particularly, you're thinking about the mid 70s, like, they're just starting to figure out how to properly get 16 tracks of full frequency, zero crosstalk, like, perfect separation in the studio. 
And all of that is borne out by like how good this album sounds. I agree. It is a very good uh, record in terms of its fidelity. Mm-hmm. But I think definitely the material, like this is this particular period of it's only rock and roll to black and blue. This is about the the nadir. Yeah, this is as lost as they ever get as far as songwriting. It's fine. Like it's not. It's not like I hate it. I'd still rather listen to any Stones album mm-hmm. over any record by many other bands. But Black and Blue is about as tepid as it gets. And what I like about it, though, is that it has... I love Harvey Mandel's playing. Mm. I love Wayne Perkins playing. And I love uh, the early forays with uh, Woody. Yeah, Hayne Negrita is great. And um, Hand of Fate. Yeah. And Memory Motel is a wonderful song. But it's a bit kind of like, all right, where are we going with this? And, you know, do we really need a Billy Preston? Knowing that Worried About You was cut in these sessions Mm -hmm. and that they were like, no, let's do Billy's song melody. You know, I I don't know about that. Yeah, questionable choices. But again, the reproduction of it here is great. And it is, you know, I've heard people say that the first U.S. pressing is the one to get here. Again, I haven't compared them back to back, but you can't sound a hell of a lot better than this record sounds. That's, that's what I'll say about that. Um, then we have some girls and, you know, I have compared this to several different pressings. Yeah. I have an original Canadian that I brought by, which is good. I mean, I I would say definitely for the Abco period, avoid Canadian pressings Mm. altogether. It's copies of copies. Yeah. Cause they sent the, they sent the masters over as a, ostensibly a a mold. Mm -hmm. So the quality is very poor, but the, some girls here, like, again, you get the die cut cover. It's not all the celebrity faces that were on the original edition, but it, it, it basically hues closely to the revised UK cover in terms of, um, color, like the pastel colors, which I prefer over the brighter, more saturated us colors. Um, and it sounds phenomenal. Like I love the way this record sounds. It's it's the, grimy, is, but not in a, a distracting. Way. I have had, I did used to own an original UK, mm-hmm. and um, I listened to it a lot. And uh, the Canadian one is good, but I would say that this one I just have to give the slightest edge to the new one. Yeah, because uh, you just get a little bit more detail and a little less of the smearing quality that a lot of vinyl has mm-hmm. up until relatively recently. Yeah, and you know the tape is obviously showing signs of wear and tear because this was a very popular record, and like if you can find a super clean first press, you might like that better. Like because you know Miles said this much when he was talking about his mastering for this. You know, if if you put a fresh tape that's never been run like a hundred times through the machine, through a dirty signal path, you're not gonna really hear as much as a slightly worn tape through a much cleaner signal path, you know? So it's it's trade-offs, but I really like the way this sounds, and uh, I'm a big fan of this record. I'm happy to get rid of my other copies and just stick with this for now. You don't want to be the guy with uh, yeah. 28 <laughs> copies of Some Girls? I have seen people who do that, <laughs> and they'll mix and match. They'll Just to mix it up, they'll put like a UK pressing and a US sleeve, which is too crazy for I me. I just want to say that really irritates me. Like, that's just... <laughs> that, no. It really rankles my bits uh, emotional rescue so again i i haven't heard a lot of different versions of this the original canadian pressings that i have heard sound good like this is a great party record i've put it on a lot at at parties that people just happen to have it in yeah and you know collection. when to go out and you know when to stay in <laughs> and yeah that's right it's time to get up yeah uh but this sounds good um i wouldn't say it's better or worse because I mean, again, it's about what you like. And that edit on Dance Part 1, where it suddenly cuts to a vastly different sounding 
version of the mix right in the middle it's of the first chorus. probably a different take. Yeah, I think that's going to be distracting no matter what you do in mastering to hide it, and this just sort of lays it bare. So if you don't mind that, I, I would say this version is great and perfectly serviceable. And they have the two-sided full-size poster included, which is great. It's, you know, either horizontally or vertically. <laughs> Any way you want it. <laughs> Any way you want it. It looks great. So, Tattoo You, I ordered, for the purposes of science, mm-hmm. I ordered a uh, original UK pressing of this, which yeah. I, I played for Tim, and it's really good it's fantastic the yeah. original press i mean it's hard to find a bad sounding copy of this album to be honest i mean uh aside from ones that are obviously like the 2009 is obviously <laughs> just terrible but I, I don't think they've even pressed the 2009 on vinyl because no they did in that oh, box set because now let me tell oh, you yeah. something about value right. here kids um the there 2009 box vinyl set. box set yeah. with the same albums in it now goes for two grand because no one wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so bad, it's now a collector's item. Yeah. And so that's something that is worth considering is that what is valuable to collectors uh, is not necessarily a good listening uh, or user experience. Yeah, I think no. it was Raymond Chandler. Uh, somebody, uh, somebody, a fan wrote him and said, I have a first edition of your book. And he said, Well, uh, you've got the one with the two missing commas. Yeah. You know, that that's, that's what. Uh, happen sometimes if there's a pressing error like i kept my tokyo dome cd that has the flipped Swapped channels, stereo yeah. image because in my mind this will be worth <laughs> money someday <laughs> i did not hear the i don't think i heard the new one i've done a digital rip to, of it and i've listened to it several times and i can't find fault with it it doesn't have the longer version again this is something that like we like about the cd versions and there is no the longer I, editive slave is yeah just better there I, but there's I, more of it it's great song. yeah I, I i haven't found a vinyl version that has that longer take on it um and again i think this might have just been a mastering decision to fit everything on the side bob ludwig mastered this record originally in 1981 and he's the one who remastered it in 94 with the longer edit so yeah and he's the man like yeah he's just he knows exactly what he's doing and again like it's so hard to screw up tattoo you because it's perfectly well recorded and which is crazy considering how it was made yeah because it's all over the place There's nothing consistent about it yeah different studios different lineups so my guess is that this is just bob clearmountain doing what he does best and and finding the common mm-hmm. thread there like yeah. it helps that it's the same guy singing all the songs sure. with the exception of little tna but uh considering it was done like only one track was recorded specifically to be a part of this record mm-hmm. and yes most of it was done at uh pathe marconi right and some now, in nassau some in jamaica yeah, so, uh, because because uh it was the only one is heaven yeah, and you can tell Keith is in on it. Yeah, Bill's on uh, synth and mix on guitar. Uh, but yeah, you, like for me, I know that one guitar on "Worried About You" is uh, the Mesa, and one is the Ampeg. You can mm-hmm. hear, yeah, if you really know, like because yeah. that's you know back at uh, back in the tattoo you, or uh, back in the black and blue mm-hmm. sessions. And the fact that it all comes together the way that it does is is something. And side two, again, like if you're into the ballads and the slow kind of contemplative stuff, again, this pressing really shines. It's it's very uh, quiet in terms of surface noise, and the depth of the soundstage is really terrific. Um, so, you know, if you like Worried About You, 
and waiting on a friend, and I don't see how you couldn't. Yeah, you you'd be into this pressing, I'm sure. Um, now, undercover. I have again uh, an original Canadian copy with the stickers. This unfortunately doesn't include the stickers, um, but it has an insert with what the cover looks like with the stickers peeled off of it, so that you can have both if you really want them. Um, so that's good. But for some reason, I think for manufacturing reasons, it says in the insert that they they weren't able to actually include real stickers. Because that used to throw me when I found used copies. Yeah. Because some would have this, very rarely you would find one with the stickers, or there were represses that just printed them flat. Mm -hmm. Sure. And that that always used to confuse me. But I heard heard a bit of this. Mm -hmm. I think we compared it. Yeah. And again, I got to say, I think the new one is better. And this is, this record is much nicer, I think, Mm -hmm. on vinyl than, like the, the Simmons drums blend in Right. Uh, a lot more because yeah. this is the first one that they did resembling a modern workflow that there's click tracks and yeah. and everything uh, and digital elements to it and I think they blend a, a, a great deal better on vinyl to begin with but again edge to the new one because mm-hmm. the half speed mastering just gives you yeah I think slightly more clarity yeah there's more breathing room for the bass and drums to kind of expand the space in terms of the transients and the really low lows that's that all that really clean recording pays off here with great mastering. Um, again, if you get the 94 CD um, and other remastered editions, I think there's a slightly longer version of Keith's track. Um, right, yeah, probably. Uh, Want to Hold You uh, with a, an additional repeat of the verse or chorus or something like that. I, I haven't compared them side by side, but again, this is the shorter original vinyl version. It's true to the original master. Um ditto when we get to dirty work so if you liked dirty work here's dirty work <laughs> it's yeah, it is what it is i'm just going to admit that we don't really have patience for this um you know I, I i do like tracks on this record i will listen to one hit to the body over and over again it's and great had it with you i can listen to forever and uh, uh too rude too rude is great um, you know, oh. I'll even listen to uh, Winning Ugly. Winning Ugly. Yeah. I like the remixes. I yeah. gotta say, <laughs> I like the remixes. This is if you get that Canadian twelve-inch single. There's like three different Winning Uglies on that. You should check that. Definitely, out. definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, not a satisfying listen. The production is does really let the side down. Charlie isn't even on half of the songs, so it's is it really a Rolling Stones record? I guess, but. Would you want to play something else? Probably. Yeah, there's definitely interesting things. Like I always like to point out that you know when uh, when uh, Keith doesn't feel like participating that much, you get something like Emotional Rescue. Mm-hmm. Whereas when when Mick doesn't feel like participating, you get Dirty Work. Yeah. So that's definitely worth thinking about. But again, cover art reproduction is all spot on. They've got the red shrink wrap around it so that you, the colors of those crazy suits they're wearing blend a little bit better together. And like, don't you know, fade, you know, so yeah. UV rays don't damn. That's right. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, the insert with the cartoon of the oh, aerobics yeah. instructor. That, that, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> at all. It's all there though. Uh, um, for your enjoyment. Oh, Harlem Shuffle is a good track. Oh yeah, That's of course. A good track. Yeah. Great track. With the Ralph Bakshi. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The video, everything about, the Stones presenting dirty work in the 80s, like all the singles that they chose. It's just that the deep cuts here let the side down. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, and there's there's interesting things about, is it the title track that just has the give me some reggae breakdown for no <laughs> sort reason? Sort of, yeah. Like, yeah, there's interesting stuff. 
and Chuck Lavelle's only writing credit, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is on Back yeah, to Zero. Yeah, Back to Zero, yeah. Um, and obviously they had to go through this in order to get to the next record, which mm-hmm. I think we can just say is is a, a favorite around here. Yeah, I, we really like Steel Wheels because everything that didn't work on Dirty Work, um, I think they realized and took to heart, and they said, okay, well, this time we're really going to have a full band performance in every track. It's, it's much more focused, and so again... Um, I was given, my girlfriend gave me uh, an original European Dutch pressing mm-hmm. of Steel Wheels uh, for my birthday this year. So uh, again, Steel Wheels on CD is the first digital record all mm-hmm. the way through. And it does have what Tim calls the penny in your mouth yeah. quality, which is just a bit of a sheen. Between 8 kilohertz and I'd say 12 kilohertz, mm. there's just a little bit too much of everything. You don't have to be a big nerd about it. I mean, it, it feels like you snorted a bunch of cocaine and then said, give me more trouble. So my theory is is that there's no reason why they would have known that anyone would hear it the way that the master tape machine heard it. Mm-hmm. Like in 89, CDs were still relatively new. Yeah, The, the, the players were very, very expensive. And um, it wasn't yet known whether these things were going to take off because they could have ended. It could have gone the way of uh, four eight track. tracks, eight yeah. track. Yeah. And so I think that the intention was still very much with vinyl as the main medium, mm-hmm. and I think the the album art also says that. Yeah. Now I would say that, like I was saying about the James Brown record, which is from '86, everything that you don't like about this record, mm-hmm. if you if, in terms of its production value, I know some people who like a lot of the material on it, but they don't necessarily like the 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 quality of the 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 recording sure everything that you don't like about it in terms of too much isolation to kind of pristine or too bright is gone when you listen to it in vinyl and the thing about this pressing that struck me when we heard it is that it just you feel the air in the room but not like the air at air turned all the way up yeah (laughs) you know you get that little bit of saturation on the snare drum and the hi-hat the way that you know charlie's kind of close mic'd in a way here but it's not overwhelming on this pressing. So the major differences too here is that this is a different edit of mixed emotion. There's more bridge and yeah. there's just more mixed emotions. Yeah. So I'm all for that because yeah. So I this think is it's great. I think this is the only case that I could find on the whole box set where it doesn't perfectly match one for one every mix on the original pressing, and that's weird because this is like you said a true digital recording and. Presumably, the digital master tape is the only version, but I guess they found maybe a safety analog copy, which had a different edit on it. So the theory that I have developed here, after consulting with the wizard people and the Illuminati, (laughs) is that either either they completely forgot about this, or the original intention was to use this longer edit, and they couldn't fit it all on the side. Right. And that now with with better manufacturing techniques, that they figured out a way to fit this in. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe this becomes the standard version of the album going forward. They'll just have the extended edits like they have for a Tattoo You and Undercover on subsequent repressings. And again, I'm just going to say it every time, I would give slight edge to this one. Yeah. Uh, even though the original is very, very close. And this is what develop, helped me develop my theory about digital mm-hmm. digitally sourced vinyl being better because... I just think that this record sounds fantastic on LP. Uh, we're going to say the same thing for the next four records because Voodoo Lounge is the same thing. This is a, a DAT era as a medium archive, and th- that's what they're pressed here, and it sounds good. I'm just going to go even further with this one. I could tell from the first snare hit this was a different thing, and I, I had an original 
uh, Voodoo Lounge that I hadn't heard it in a long time since mm-hmm. my my ear developed. But I could just tell immediately this was this was a force to be reckoned with. It yeah. is, it, I would say that these two, I have no issues with the digital versions. Um, I listen to that original CD of mm-hmm. Voodoo Lounge all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have absolutely no issues with them. I'm not going to say, oh, it sounds thin and compressed. Yeah, no, this is like 1994. It's a good era for CDs. I mean, CDs were, by this point, the dominant medium. And, you know, people were checking the Final Master on CD players, high-end ones, because that was the way most people heard it. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like, this sounds great. The only thing that's missing from this vinyl pressing is the last track. With the, Which was CD. intentionally a CD yeah. only bonus track. Yeah. So we get it. Um, I would still love to hear it. I would have, maybe. Although, if you want it on vinyl, you can track down that $2,000, 2009 box set. Cause I if you want it on, on terrible there. sounding vinyl. Yeah. Um, so I would say that this is actually a completely different experience that I thought was. Wonderful, mm-hmm. and, and I, everything that I like about this record is made better. And everything that I like, I'm a little bit, you know, trepidatious about. Like, oh, it's a long record. Breaking it up over four sides really does help the pacing and flow. You get the sense that they actually did sequence it, maybe with four sides intended. So uh, this this is probably a good segue into the next one. I believe that Keith has never stopped listening to vinyl, mm-hmm. and I think that he's always been like I saw him for Cross-eyed Heart you know, pointing at the lathe. Yeah. And I think that he's always invested the extra effort into making sure that Rolling Stone's material and his own material sounds really good on vinyl. Yeah. And uh, I know that that's in the movie, uh, the Netflix movie, I think. Mm-hmm. They ask him about this and he says that he still listens to, to vinyl. Yeah. With Bridges to Babylon, we put it on and there seemed to have been some issues. I would love to give this record a cleaning because when we got to disc two... Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Like we had, so when we got into, uh, this is illegal, so so turn your ears off, kids. But we got this vinyl rip of British to Babylon. Yeah, from is, a, an original pressing that somebody had and, and dubbed, I think, at 192 kilohertz. They did a, they did a stupendous rip of it. Yeah. And it was just, like, we, like I had an original pressing. I listened to it about once. Um, I couldn't tell you. I remember liking it, obviously, but I just liked the record. Now, uh, we we know that we've we've discussed. Obviously, we dorked out on this one for four episodes. Sure, we don't need to bore you with any more of why we love Bridges to Babylon. But I would say that this particular version is better than that rip uh, that we heard mm-hmm. of, the, of the original one. Particularly side four. I mean, all those Keith ballads strung together like with this level of clarity and and soundstage reproduction that the half speed mastering gives you it's it's unbelievable like you just have to hear it and if you're a fan of this record in any way this purchase alone will make the entire box set pay for itself so this is how i convinced him because an original voodoo lounge is about 250 an original babylon is about 250 an original a bigger bang is about a hundred if not more yeah so if even if you're living like us in canada land and you're paying 600 bucks to have this shipped to your door you've already basically gotten the other 13 hours you're making money yeah that's how it works right (laughs) um so that sounds great again this is following the original vinyl pressing which was not a gatefold it's just the two discs in a larger size slip cover and um, if you have the CD, the the sleeves are the same as the CD insert with that surreal yeah the desert landscape. Now, 
I I would prefer that this had some kind of other packaging element to it. It does feel a little bit bare bones, particularly compared to the CD version. Again, that was the dominant format. That's obviously what they focused their and design on. And that is on. true to the original. Yeah. To the original. Um, but yeah, it is it is a completely different experience on vinyl to begin with. I would say this one uh, edge to, to the newer one. Mm-hmm. And you get um, Out of Control and Saint of Me without... The f- the crossfade you get a complete full stop and and clean intro because it's a side break because it's yeah. a side break there, um, so that's good. I mean, again, I would watch out for non fill because it sounded to me like side three had a little bit of that. Like I said, the engineering is top notch, playing, writing, and arrangement yeah. is everything that we said it was, and this pressing serves all that very well. Now I've said a lot of hyperbolic things, uh, not just in this podcast. No, every pre- no filter. Yeah. Uh, the bigger bang pressing here is it's dynamite absolutely the best way to listen to this record yeah now this is something else like oh it's, yeah it's astounding you know and it even gets like the the octave bass on dangerous mm-hmm. beauty and this is just i think one of my favorite kick drum sounds if not my favorite altogether this particular edition breathes mm-hmm. a lot more yeah, and I assume that that over-limiting did happen in the mastering stage because uh, the CD is kind bit, of yeah. famously over-limited. Yeah, yeah. Though I think that they were able to walk that back. Either it's to do with the, the natural dynamics that you get on vinyl or it's the fact that uh, it wasn't uh, Jack Joseph Puig who did that in yeah. the mix. It happened in mastering. I and think there's to... a little bit of bus uh, limiting on, on this because you can hear a little bit of... Um, congestion in upper mids in some tracks but it's more than made up for by that extra growl and bite on the the bass and the the treble so you know people have problems with the way charlie's drums sound on this album you just need to hear this version of it because it's all there all the information that i, I don't have missing. this is i would say probably my favorite drum sound even any any edition, I I love the the way the drums sound. It's getting back to that sort of tight kind of ringy some girls sort of punky sound, and I really love it. And uh, the fact that it was done in mixed house, I mean, that's uh, maybe this this is one we should talk about in more detail mm. at some point. But uh, it's a fantastic record, and this uh, I mean I was I was kind of expecting this to be good, but I wasn't expecting it to be like hearing it for the first time sure. in a completely different way yeah now that brings us to the last record which is blue and lonesome so i should just get up yeah <laughs> christian isn't a big fan of this record like he's mentioned you know the blues covers thing i think every being, time yeah <laughs> but um you know i've got two copies of it now i've actually bought three copies of it i have the deluxe cd which is got an amazing booklet oh, that that is really cool and and yeah. you know i will say i i love the fidelity of this record and yeah. if that's where they're making their new record mm-hmm. uh please bring it on yeah uh the vinyl sounds good as well i mean uh four sides for 12 songs is a little bit excessive um however the extra width of the grooves that that affords you lets everything kind of breathe a bit more i do think that the digital versions are a little over limited and there's a lot, not a great deal of uh, low end yeah. in, and, in the digital version. And what there is on the vinyl, it just cuts through better because, again, there's a bit more extension provided by having the, the width of the grooves. This is one that Miles did not master. They just used the plates from the uh, uh, standard yeah, mastering. It was done two years ago. There's yeah. no reason to remaster. So if you already have it on vinyl, this is just another copy that you could give to a friend or whatever. But, I mean, it's it sounds... 
as good as it probably ever can. And uh, I, I do appreciate it more on vinyl than I did in the digital. I, I was actually, my suspicion was that I would enjoy it more as a listening experience on vinyl. And there's nothing, I'm not opposed to the spirit of what mm-hmm. this is. I was just very disappointed that we were not getting a new album of Jagger Richards compositions. Yeah. And since everything we ask for on this podcast comes true, <laughs> I'm going to say... New Stones album for spring, summer North American tour. Yeah, that'd be great. Very much. Um, should we talk a little bit about um, the other releases that are supposedly on the docket for the rest of this year? We've mentioned the One Beggar's Plus Banquet. One, Symphony for the Devil, and Beggar's Banquet. So let's talk about Voodoo Lounge. So again, asked, answered, <laughs> delivered. We <laughs> talked about it here. And it came out. And, and it's Sam Miami we- 94. Yeah, so I had this on VHS, which now goes for like two hundred bucks or sure. something. I, I wish I had. I, 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 it's awful. It sounds awful. Yeah, the Miami nineteen ninety four, or I think it was just called Voodoo Lounge Live. Uh, it was a home video release, and then it later came out on DVD with it the was same a, stereo mix. But, but was it not a pay per view? It was initially a pay per view special on television with and Whoopi this Goldberg. Is, yeah, with Whoopi Goldberg hosting, and this is called Voodoo Lounge Uncut. Uncut. So yeah. So we get the whole set list, and I, I think you said stereo, but I believe actually the VHS was mono. Oh, I think dear. it was because it, it, it was even more and, disappointing. It's terrible. Yeah, I have a, a DVD rip of the that edition, and and it's not great. I think this there's a lot of room for improvement here, and hopefully Sam Weed has had a chance to completely remix it from the ground up. I I'm hoping that there will be a 5.1 mix as well because we talked about Sam Weed's um, 5.1 mix for the San Jose No Security show, and like there's a lot of promise there. Um, I hope that you know Voodoo Lounge has a slightly smaller horn section. Uh, and there's no Blondie, but otherwise it's the same lineup of musicians. And um, that's great. Like, I, I want to hear Chuck Lavelle, like, right there in 5 Yeah, and I definitely, I, so I woke up today and, you know, as I was doing my morning routine, I had some stuff on. I had a bit of Sweet Summer Sun and um, then I watched a bit of The Biggest Bang. Mm. And A Biggest Bang is coming out and I actually really hope that that gets remixed too because the mix is serviceable. It sounds fine. Um, but it definitely could be better. Mm-hmm. And the big thing about the way uh, Mr. Wheat uh, approaches this, I find, is that there's this immense amount of clarity and presence to the keyboards and to the the backing musicians in general. Mm. It doesn't really come at the expense of the guitars or the vocals or the drums or anything like that. Sure. I don't really like a lot of 5.1 when it comes to music. Mm. Um, I think, um, full disclosure, Shine a Light has a lot to do with that. Sure. Which is just an awful, awful mix. Well, and, and I think Bob Clearmountain's hand was forced there by Scorsese. He was extremely professional. I, I read an article about this. If if somebody told me, even Martin Scorsese, you know, he did the stereo mix and he says, oh, when I see a saxophone, I want to hear a saxophone. If somebody told me that, I would say you get somebody else to do this mm. because it's ridiculous. It's unbelievably tiring. I have uh, actually a fair-sized collection of DVD audio and, and surround SACDs, which I enjoy listening to once in a while, but I don't have a 5.1 in my house anymore because it's I just don't have the time to sit in the middle of five speakers. And, you know, occasionally I get to do it at work, and that's enjoyable, and I'll invite people in, and, and we'll have listening parties. Yeah, we'll probably awesome. do that again for Voodoo. Yeah, if, if you're in Toronto area and you want to like do that for some Stones stuff, let us know, and we'll we'll hook you up because it's it's fun, you know. Um, More but, bodies in the theater would help the yeah, uh, liveliness. Those, yeah, absorb those high end reflections. Um, but Voodoo Lounge. So we have not seen this whole set list, and there's there's uh, great stuff with Bo Diddley yep. and with Robert Cray. 
um, and there's the acoustic B stage. The mm-hmm. first iteration of the B stage, they did uh, acoustic numbers, Angie, Sweet Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. And then you've also got Cheryl Crow appearing on Live With Me. Yeah, because that that's, was cut from the mm-hmm. home video version, and they cut Rocks Off, and they cut Shattered, and they cut all those things. Now, they got an immense amount of credit for bringing a lot of that stuff back on um, the Wix tour, but it had never really been out of the set list for long periods of time. Like, right. you'll hear Monkey Man, you'll hear Rocks Off, you'll hear Shattered, you'll hear Rockin' a Hard Place on Voodoo yeah. Ranch set list. They're really eclectic and really oddball mm-hmm. kind of things. And, and and who knows? I mean, they may we haven't seen the full track listing yet, as Christian mentioned, but, you know, at other shows, like the um, the New Jersey version of this set list there's a different version awful narrative yeah Um, but they played different songs so who knows what the bonus tracks on this so that's why we have to buy all these (laughs) so that they know yeah so send us bitcoin so that we can keep this podcast going because we'll be actually we should do that (laughs) yeah um maybe set up a patreon account yeah i think we should set up a set i mean a lot of idiots make money on patreon yeah why not us too (laughs) um but I want to see like a later stage, and we're gonna get it because everything. The more I say it, the truer uh, it becomes. The truer it becomes. I want to see an expand, either an expanded. Now they're gonna redo uh, four flicks, yeah, which I've watched hundreds of times, and and a bigger bang. But I would like to see uh, different stages of these tours. Sure, I'd also like to see club shows, mm-hmm. more club shows from the, these tours, and the Far East leg. Yeah. Um, we know that most of Saitama Dome uh, is in H- full HD. You yeah. can watch it on YouTube. Um, I will pay for these things. I oh, will yeah. probably have to sell all my stuff. Of course, your show at the Phoenix, we want that on video. We know they have video of that. Yeah, the show of the Phoenix, we know that there's some of that. Uh, that has not been given its full treatment like all the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this era, what I really like, and I think that San Jose was the first of this, is that, okay, like, enough of the murky 70s stuff like i mean the 75 tour got la forum mm-hmm. and we got brussels and we got uh some girls live in texas and love we, you live and we got yeah and sure i'd love to hear a better version of the i'd love to hear an expanded uh recently remixed version of the um, El combo shows mm-hmm. or and the nebworth 76 show that might nebworth be would be interesting yeah. but i'm interested in those things academically i do not actually think the performances are that good mm. and i love a good phaser wild horses i mean who am i to say no it sounds like you're huffing tape yeah. head cleaner but you know in 81 got the 82 or got got two yeah we have well we have for Leeds 80 and, for Leeds 81 and, and 82 we now have the Let's Spend the Night Together movie on home video. We've got Still Life, the album, which has been remastered several times. We've got Hampton Roads, Virginia, uh, 1981 from the vault. And we have the Leeds 82 from the vault. Now. And the only question remaining is why? Well, I like that tour. I like mixed tracksuits. I like Bobby Keys looking like a sausage squeezed into a, a pair of Adidas. Uh, oh, but yeah, I'm a weirdo. The other one we're getting, you just reminded me, we is, we're probably getting... Um, now they keep saying Atlanta. No, yeah, it's, but it's, it's probably Atlantic City, Atlantic City yeah, which was another pay per view, and that's got John Lee Hooker and mm-hmm. Eric Clapton and the and two guys from Guns and Roses. Those guys, Axel uh, and Izzy, give yeah. me some reggae. Yeah, <laughs> and um, so that one, I'm I I would like to see an unadulterated uh, 
show from the 89. Like, yeah. I love the Tokyo Dome comping. Great. Mm-hmm. But I would like to see an unadulterated one from that tour. Well, we do have From the Vault Extra Tokyo Dome, which is the camera rehearsal for the big Tokyo Dome show. And that is great. I do enjoy that. But it was only released in Japan. Now, I, I have spoken to a lot of Stones fans who were around for the 89 broadcast and who remember it. Um, I think it was more infamously repeated later with some 3D glasses effects uh, layered on top of 2,000 light years from home. So if you were around in 1990, and you <laughs> you may remember this broadcast. I can't um, believe I didn't know about this. Yeah, already. no, it was really stupid. Um, <laughs> and it's the, the 3D segment you, is on Why YouTube. would you say that? Sounds great. <laughs> Uh, remember when we made everybody like sit at home in front of the television wearing 3D glasses for like Third Rock from the Suns finale? And it was, the 90s were a time. Were the Stones on that? They should have been. Keith Richards could have been the galactic president and I wouldn't have complained for a moment. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so there's a lot. The, what we're, I think we're trying to say is that there's a lot of stuff coming out. This has been a really cool couple of years for the From the Vault series. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even talked about Confessing the Blues. Yeah, um, I really think everyone should buy this. Yeah, this is a new uh, anthology chosen by the Stones of original artists' recordings of the blues songs now, that they're, they've made famous. So as a, yeah. as a uh, blues pedant, um, there are not enough high-quality uh, reissues of a lot of this material. I'm saying this is somebody who owns two copies of Best of Money Waters <laughs> um, and probably going to get the Geffen one too. Mm. Um, well, and I've got like, you know, old John Lee Hooker and, and uh, Jimmy Reed reissues, which are good. The Charlie uh, Jimmy Reed stuff is great. Yeah. Charlie Records actually, uh, even though I don't know if they're doing 180 grams now, but I have mm. a bunch of uh, uh, older stuff of theirs that it's been consistently very mm-hmm. well playing, very good yeah. sounding and stuff. And I've got his um, VJ album, I'm Jimmy Reed, which is, really good so i think that it would be really really great i have a lot of the 87 88 chess stuff Mm -hmm. which all sounds great but i would really like to see this stuff given nice uh flat remasters Mm -hmm. um they i have the howlin wolf album which i don't really listen to because it's good yeah but i'm i'm glad i have it um and they've done electric mud and there's some miss we yeah. don't know if this audiophile is... reissue labels love to do Muddy Waters folk singer like every five years. <laughs> yeah, and what is good about this compilation actually is that you can trace a through line of the development of post World War II blues. Yeah, because and that's that's the part that you know the 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 true pedantry. You know, <laughs> the people who have you know written books about the blues and and gone down and sort of tried to trace this stuff out. You know they haven't really done a good job of making it accessible to the casual listener. No, no. And there's, there's a great deal. Now we're at a point now where booze has sort of faded out of the, uh, cultural memory. And, you know, th- it's hard to cultivate an interest in this, uh, in anyone who's under 30. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is something that I've sort of taken on as a personal mission. Uh, and when I try to interest young people, in this stuff and you play them the digital stuff, it's like, Oh, where's the low end? And mm-hmm. why is it so bright? All that's gone. When yeah. you listen to it on vinyl, a good, a good vinyl pressing of this stuff. Um, you know, 
I dropped the needle on that best of muddy waters and I'm just there. Yeah. Immediately. We should talk about the different formats of confessing the blues. So they all come with that Ronnie Wood painting of the guy with the, like the red tongue and lips that looks a lot like the stones logo. Um, and then there's like a super deluxe vinyl package that is a 10 inch vinyl pressing. So you get the whole content of it spread over these like authentic looking, you know, early blues. Yeah. They era, look like Yeah. Uh, um, and they that also comes with a selection of art prints that were commissioned specifically for this illustrating each track. Um, but that's sold out now. Like I we went I wanted to get one. I, I slept on it. Yeah, we slept on it, and there was a mix up with the shipping on the Stones official website. And for some reason, there was no option to ship to Canada. And now I guess there never will be. <laughs> which yeah, is too bad. So this is upsetting. But for the the rest of the world, uh, there's going to be a two volume vinyl version of this anthology um both of which come with two lps and then you have the two volume cd edition uh, it's all the same content just in smaller more affordable packages so put it on your christmas list um maybe I, along with beggar's banquet 50th and one plus one sympathy for the devil and voodoo lounge uncut and this studio albums box set. Yeah, I'm probably gonna yeah this is why we need to start a patreon because <laughs> uh, we do this in order to uh, get you guys to spend your money. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously we're not getting any money from the Stones themselves. We're just, this is a They're money very lo- cheap. <laughs> this is a money-losing operation for us. But we love it, and you know what? Bring it on, I say. Yeah, not enough people, I mean, we did this because not enough people, uh, especially in our age range, uh, you know, I think we have a different uh, perspective on the Rolling Stones than you're going to hear uh, certainly in, uh, I hate to say it, but the mainstream media, uh, <laughs> you just sound like a nut bar, but it, I, I mean yeah. that, you know, for most people it's, oh, the Stones did satisfaction, right? Right. We're trying to bring you a different, a uh, vast counter narrative. I think you've described it. As that's before. what you said, but it, cause, cause I, I indoctrinated Tim into, yeah. uh, the Ron Wood era. Yeah. And have started to uh, manipulate the minds of many people around me to believe that the stones only really get going. To me, it's it's beggars banquet and on. Yeah, and that's when they become the entity that that I think most people think of. So what what we're trying to say is spend five hundred dollars on this box set, even if you think you don't like any of the albums in it. Because whatever money you have left over, (laughs) give to us. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there for this week. Um, as always, you can get at us on Facebook. Uh, make sure to like our page. It's Under the Radar, Rolling Stones Podcast. Um, and if you have a question or a comment or something you'd like us to cover on the show or just general feedback or you want to email us money, uh, you can do so to rollingstonespodcast at gmail.com. And uh, anything else you want to plug or mention before we uh, sign off here, Christian? Uh, no. Uh, give money <laughs> to us, please. <laughs> yeah. We've done this for free long enough. It's time for you to start pulling your weight. (laughs) Uh, That'll be it for now. Until the next time, we say goodbye.